Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Chef Special. This is Patrick Honeywell. On today's podcast, we have a special guest host, Braden Catanelli. Braden is the podcast host for the Epicurean Unicorn Podcast, a podcast covering the food industry and trends. Braden is also the Senior Manager for National Innovation at Paradis US, a subsidiary of Paradis Group, which offers bakery, patisserie, chocolate products, service and expertise for artisans, industry, retailers, and food service customers in over 100 countries. On a recent podcast, Braden interviewed me about my history in the food business before I flipped the script and interviewed Braden to discuss his history and journey. Patrick, good morning for both of us. It's good to see you again. How are you? Great to see you again, and thanks for having me on. No, thank you. It was great to get to meet you. We just met for the first time about a month ago in person, and I really enjoyed it. I'm glad now I finally know your name. Took me a little while, but I got there. Yeah, Bob, I know what you mean. Or Billy, yeah. I mean, Braden, Braden <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, we'll both get there. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm excited to get to talk to you because we work in similar parts of the food industry and we have somewhat similar backgrounds. And that's really what I want to talk about today is to learn from you how you went from being a pastry chef working in hotels and really doing high-end pastry and how you transitioned into another part of the food industry, being a, a corporate chef. Because especially in the last few years, people have been looking to make changes. They've been looking for better work-life balance. They've just been looking for new opportunities. So I think your story could really help inspire some people. Thank you very much. I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, I know you will. I believe all people have greatness inside them. Now, if they use it or not, that's a different story. Low expectations today. Please, <laughs> well, you have to do like in Star Trek, like Scotty does. You have to give the person low expectations, but then amaze them every time. I call that the Scotty. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I can always say, Braden, beat me up and get me out of here if I'm screwing <laughs> up. You know? I don't think it'll be needed. I want to start with how did you first get into the food industry? What was your road into those first jobs? Well, that's a story that starts quite a while ago. I had worked when I was quite a bit younger in Alaska, and I had a friend that said, hey, I'm working in a gold camp. Do you want to come up here and work with me? Whoa. I said, yeah. I know it's crazy. He said, can you bake? And I said, uh, no. And he says, well, baking is really important up here. They need a lot of carbs, you know, when they're working out in the gold camp. So I went up there, worked for him, cooked a little bit, and then came back. And my stepfather at the time was working at Anaheim Marriott Hotels. And they had a French guy, Michel Bieri, and he was the head pastry chef for Marriott. Back then, the Marriott had a lot of different facilities that required instruction from great pastry chefs. He was one. So I worked with him. It was their teaching hotel. And I uh, learned from him. I started at 2 a.m. at night. Uh, he taught me how to do, you know, croissant and puff dough and, and all that kind of thing. Then he said, uh, try these mini pastries. I jumped over there, did a little bit of mini. He goes, okay, okay. Have you ever decorated a cake? Nope. So he gave me a, a spatula, he called it, I think, French, different pronunciation. And I went ahead and started that. Then I became the cake guy. Eventually became his assistant pastry chef. From there, 
I went on to Weston Hotels and took a pastry chef position at a smaller property in Costa Mesa, Weston South Coast Plaza. And eventually, and then was involved with a bigger property, did some openings and went to the Weston Mission Hills Resort and really enjoyed developing menus, working with pastry and bread. I love bread, but we can talk more about that in a bit if you'd like. Well, I think I have to find out. I mean, I guess it's pretty obvious. You didn't find any gold in the gold camp, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, I was going to send you <laughs> some to make sure I sound okay in this podcast. You know. Oh, well, yeah, that, that would help. <laughs> that would help. That is amazing. It's funny. I was just listening to a podcast where they interview people to find out how they started. And the guy said, well, I told the truth from the future point of view. When they asked me if I could do it, I said, well, I know how to learn and figure it out. And it sounds like that's kind of what you did. You wanted an opportunity and you said, I can figure this out. I learned from somebody great. And when you work with somebody that's amazing, they know how to get you to a little higher level, a little more quickly than somebody that doesn't have their background. He was amazing, Michelle Berry. Yeah, so I learned on the job and it was great because I started with a great boss. And I understand just from, again, kind of side conversations, in between all the hotel work, you owned and operated your own bakery, correct? Yeah, I had actually moved up to Washington State, kind of took a hiatus from California for a bit and opened Bakery San Juan with a very good friend from Newport Harbor High School, Mark. And it was amazing because they had had bakeries in the past that went out of business there, but we opened a bakery that they said they couldn't believe it. We hit the ground running and it when you've been in the bakery business for a while or for the hotel business, you collect, as you know, a lot of different recipes mm-hmm, and things mm-hmm. and you find what fits. You might work with the pastry chef or assistant at one property, one hotel, and they're really good at carrot cake. And then somebody else that does some killer chocolate. And then somebody else that is really good at laminated doughs, which helped me develop a coffee cake. I'll tell you about it in a bit. You bring all those and out of the three or four or five recipes you have for, say, a carrot cake, you pick the best components from each one. The Marriott had a good carrot cake. And in a sense, they used uh, peanut oil, which I wasn't using peanut oil. Hmm. And then Alki Bakery had one where they used a heck of a lot of pineapple. Mm-hmm. And then I was roasting coke. Anyway, so you take these different component parts and make great products. And I brought that to the bakery. It's still up and running today. It does It's doing very well. And I haven't been there for about nine years, I think, something like that. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a testament then to you and your, your friend and how you set it up and set them up for success. That's great. Yeah. Thanks. He's a great guy. I got to stop though for a minute because you just hit on something that is really divisive to people and that's pineapple and carrot cake. What's Mm. your take? Love it or hate it? Okay. So I never used it in the past. I love it. And the reason I love it is, and actually the percent of pineapples, it crushed pineapple is pretty high Mm -hmm. and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of acidity in it. I do it where I actually do the recipe and add coconut to it. And then the pineapple uh, acid breaks the coconut down. So you don't even know what's in there. I do two to three days minimum in the fridge. And you don't even notice pineapple. You don't notice coconut, but it lends this moisture and this texture that's unbelievable. Mm. And then the peanut oil too gets, somehow lends a different darkness to it and different body. For me, I Mm -hmm. love to use it just since you asked. And I'll send you the recipe. You try it and you could yell at me if you don't like it. So yeah, so (laughs) it sounds like- But not on your pizza. Sorry, not on the pizza. Just on your pizza. Okay, well, see, that was going to be a follow-up question. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Eh, Yeah. Yeah. For me, no. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like then on that recipe you're doing, you said you let the batter rest before baking because you're giving that enzyme in the pineapple time to work before you denature it. Okay. Yeah. Let it macerate. Mm -hmm. Same. I just do the same thing with my cheesecake. Okay. It's it's an amazing, it's a great cheesecake recipe in my opinion. And the same thing with the sugars, you know, they 
blend in. You end up having, you ever had an ice cream when it's kind of chewy or it's, it stretches out, mm-hmm. it's got a really cool texture versus an aerated type. Mm-hmm. When you put it in the fridge for a while, and of course you use egg yolks and eggs, I don't mean of course, but it also develops a very good cheesecake that has a chance to settle and it's super creamy and amazing. If you do it the same day you make it, it's different than you do if you mm-hmm. wait two to three days in the fridge. Yep. All right. Well, that's a good lesson in patience, if nothing else, because you're right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually how I learned. We would make at school, we would make the cheesecake batter, and then it would generally get used about two days later. And we did that. And you'll yeah. notice. Yeah. So it's part of your mise en place, mise en place in the fridge. And you'll say, okay, well, let me bake it fresh. And about two or three days later, you go, no, there's enough in there to make a nine inch or a six inch cheesecake. And you go, wow, this one's really good. It's a little bit different texture. Same thing with the carrot cake. I tell you, it's, it's different. All right. You didn't find any gold. You pivoted though. You were able to work in some hotels. You started a bakery. <laughs> I saw a lot of gold though. I saw a lot of gold. They were wearing the, I mean, all these people had parents that had gold camps and they're wearing the necklaces or wearing on their watches is nuggets, though. Nuggets, nuggets, no process. Gold. Oh, wow. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so cool. Oh, Fairbanks, wow. Alaska. That is a crazy intro. You did that, the hotels, you had a bakery. You then, I think, went back into hotels. What made you transition away to being a corporate chef? And how did you make that transition? Well, it's interesting because the owner of Le Chef Bakery, a wholesale bakery, they sent sales reps in and would come to you know, work hotels. They wanted to sell a lot of products to different hotels. Mm -hmm. So I had one of the reps came in and say, hey, our owner came to one of your buffets and he said, wow, you know, this Weston has, you know, chocolates and mini pastries, all kinds of cakes with all the different things you do. We want to sell more to hotels. Would you be willing to consult for us? So that's how it started. I started consulting and then eventually they asked me to come on board. And at the time, I know, you know, in the old days, there was a lot of pastry chefs in hotels Mm -hmm. and then hotels said, where can we cut? You know, so they started going all around to all the Western hotels and they closed pastry shops because they said they could buy something from the outside and they could have the banquet staff or somebody just played up when it was time to go out. They didn't necessarily need a pastry chef, they felt. So they kept about seven resort properties that had pastry chefs. The particular one I was in at the time wasn't one of the resorts. I wasn't a resort before, but this wasn't. I thought, uh-oh, I might be one of the ones chopped. I went to the GM. I said, hey, I said, I hear that Weston is letting go a lot of pastry chefs. I said, what do you think about here? Because we were friends. He mm-hmm. said, I said, I'm thinking about moving to Washington. And he said, well, you know, that sounds like a good idea. Washington's a very nice place. And I go, oh, really? When, when should I move? And okay. anyway, so he said, oh, maybe in like two months. So he gave me a heads up. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they haven't gotten a pastry shop since then. So the owner of La Chef Bakery was using me as a, as a consultant, uh, which they do. And I transitioned over there as their pastry chef. And the title corporate chef, it's more of a corporate pastry chef. That's when I took that position. Actually, when I got back from Washington, it's part of the story. I consulted, moved to Washington, opened the bakery, came back, went to La Chef as the corporate pastry chef. And we have three facilities, which I'll explain about that one you'd like. Okay. It really then, it sounds like it was organic. You didn't necessarily wake up one morning and say, I don't want to work in a hotel anymore. I don't enjoy this work anymore. You really, you had an opportunity that came organically from your experience, your ability, your talent, and you were able to then over time transition that to being your full-time work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let me back up a little bit. 
when I left California first, the hotels, I had been consulting for Le Chef. We'll work this in. So, I, okay. I, so I'm at Weston Hotels. I'm consulting for Le Chef. The family did. We decided to move to Washington State. And because uh, I love Washington, I love Seattle area, all of that went up there. I ended up getting a position as the head pastry chef for a company called Alki Bakery. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I got there, they said, do you know how to do uh, frozen products? Or uh, we do wholesale and retail. I said, well, I work with Le Chef as a consultant. So I already had a bit of a background and that turned into a huge gig because from that, I was able to work on products that we got some of my products into Costco's in the Pacific Northwest and Texas and all of California. And then I came back down to Le Chef and I've been at Le Chef now for the last 12 years, I think. Yeah. I'm just trying to confuse you, Braden. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm looking at your brain. You, I can see you. People don't, we won't go into that. But I can see you go, huh, let me see. What do I do with this? I always like though, when the people keep me on my toes, see, at least you're not mm. as aggressive as some former guests. And I say that in a very nice way, who are also hosts, as you are, and we're going to get into that. You have a podcast where you also talk about the food industry. I've had a few people, though, who they'll just try to straight up take over and hijack. And I'm going, whoa, 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 slow down. So (laughs) you trying to confuse me? Totally okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are getting on your toes because you look taller on the screen right now. What happened? Like six inches tall. You're up on your plie. Yeah. So I record from my house and I find that I sit too much. So I've gotten a standing desk and I try to do all of my work all day standing up. I'm used to it, right? I mean, Mm. think about it. You know, you've been a pastry chef. I've done the same type of work. What do we do all day? Unless you're like putting an order in or something. You're right. You're standing up. I better take your advice. (laughs) Yeah. So when my daughter one day looked at me, my five-year-old and said, Daddy, do you get fatter every day? Ooh. And of course, this is an innocent five-year-old simply asking the question of, do people gain weight every day? Now, though, as you know, a middle-aged person, you hear that and you go, she's trying to tell me something. Hmm. <laughs> uh, the purity and honesty of a five-year-old. Yes. 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 I'll miss it, but I won't. Let's get back. We were hitting on your experience, uh, both you know, bakery owner, a hotel pastry chef, and corporate chef. Well, let's talk a minute now about where you are, Le Chef. Run me through a just real high view on what the company is and then what does the corporate chef do? What are the responsibilities of a corporate pastry chef? Okay, great. So Le Chef Wholesale Bakery, it has been in business for about 41, 42 years, privately held company and only wholesale, no retail. Started out to have with a little retail shop, started selling some products, a couple of restaurants. So the owner decided to go wholesale. We have three facilities, about 450, 500 employees, Western U.S., we have laminated dough facility that does primarily croissants and Danish and puff doughs and things like that. We have a dessert facility that does mini pastries, cakes, et cetera. Everything on the sweet side, cookies, macarons, and more and more. You haven't seen that shop yet, so we'll get you there. No, no, that'd you be great. Like that. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our most recent plant, Braden, is our bread plant, which is amazing, I think. It's got a lot of great state-of-the-art equipment from Europe. It's dynamite. It's got a, we have a big giant freezer that can hold 1,000 pallets. The company has about a thousand SKUs. The owner had difficulty if, if somebody said, hey, I want to buy your two and a half ounce uh, blueberry muffin. And then another person said, don't you have four ounce? What about a six ounce muffin? It was difficult to say no because we make for retail. We sell to hotels. We sell to casinos. We sell to universities, hospitals, et cetera. A lot of catering. So you want to have something for everybody. 
we have customers that are not like Bristol Farms, AJ's, you know, nice boutique kind of grocery stores, smaller stores, maybe 13, maybe stores available at each place. And we do things for their retail, but we primarily, I'd say we're really heavy on food service, which means we do a lot of casino business. We're tons with the MGM group, Caesars Entertainment, and the smaller casino properties too. So yeah. So, and what I do there is primarily as a corporate pastry chef, we have a huge team. We have a support team and they're amazing. So I'm not a big paperwork chef that goes, let me organize this, tell you what to do. I have a really good gig. We have three R&Ds, one from each facility. I help with R&Ding for new products. I get to work on recipes with the team. We do improvements. Let's say that we're trying to sell a company or a hotel of sourdough bread and they're using somebody else's and it's great. We love that our competitor is sourdough bread, but we want to get ours in there. We'll dissect the competition. We'll look to see what they're doing. We might even see if Prados has something we could throw on that, like an authentic to kick it off because my friend Fred over there keeps bugging. No, just <laughs> So, you know, we want to improve our products and find where we're weak because we're considered what they say a one-stop shop. Mm, and mm-hmm. that it sounds crazy because yeah. we have great seven-day delivery, breakfast, lunch, breaks, dinner, et cetera. If you have a hotel, Braden, and you start off with breakfast, we've got it for your continental. Mm-hmm. If you want to do brownies, cookies, et cetera, et cetera. I know it sounds like a sales pitch, but we'd have everything. It's crazy. And then all the individual pastries, cakes, sheet cakes, birthday cakes, et cetera. So, I basically, and I teach product classes for our customer service department Mm. sales. Every week I'm doing product classes. Like I have one tomorrow on individual pastries. So it's really cool. We dissect the products. They understand it better so they can represent it to the customers. They're the first people that a lot of customers call when they are going to order something. So we try to keep everybody up to date on what's going on. I'll be at a food show coming up and represent our company to answer questions on product and technical questions. So I do that too, a little bit. It really is fascinating. I mean, for anyone who might be looking into it, what I love because I had a similar position. Now I am the paperwork chef. I sit there and I organize and I streamline. I hear you're good and- at it. <laughs> I've heard you're very good at it, Bruce. <laughs> uh, somebody's got to do yeah, it. Somebody's, right? Exactly. Somebody's got to do it and they're happy it's me and not them. <laughs> it, it, it's really interesting though, all the product development stuff. And I love though, when you really hit on the education because you're so right. If the customer service, doesn't matter what industry you're in, food, anything, it doesn't matter. If your customer service team doesn't know your product well and they cannot answer questions and they cannot help the customer, then you haven't succeeded, right? You haven't created Mm -hmm. amazement with your customer. You're just creating misery because now they're banging their head against the wall because this supposed customer service person can't help them. So it's fantastic to hear that you're making sure your customer service team at Le Chef know the products inside and out. And when I did see the one facility, you had just finished a class and I got to mm. see the products you had laid out and you kind of explained a little bit then what you had just done. And I love that attention to detail when I see companies putting that forward. It's so important. Thank you. As an example, Braden, we had a class recently with customer service. Of course, customer service answers phones. So we break it into two classes, about four and four of the customer service department people there, as well as payroll because they cover the phone sometimes. And so we have seven chocolate brownies. That's not counting our other bar cookies. Yeah, just chocolate brownies. We have the other bars and blondies and all that too. But so no one, I think in customer service had tried all seven. And we show what percent of our customers, the type of customers that are buying our bars. And let's say that double chocolate brownie is the most Mm well-loved. When Mm -hmm. they try all seven of these, 
And the guy that, or girl, or the, you know, the person that calls and says, I want, you know, I've been getting the double chocolate brownie all the time. Do you have something else? They can say, you know what? We just tried all seven of our chocolate brownies. They're all wonderful. However, there's a couple others that are pretty cool too. I really like these. And that way they can either upsell or just kind of, before we lose them to somebody else, if they're starting to look to buy from somebody else, they can see we have a lot of product that they haven't, maybe haven't had a chance to try. No, that's really smart. It reminds me back in the day, and it's been a long time, just calling like L.L. Bean customer service. And they would say something similar. Oh, we just had that coat here. Or we just saw those boots. And it really is powerful making that connection between the customer, your product, and it's all through that customer service representative. Let me ask you, a can I flip this on oh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask me I'm a question. Ask you, yeah. Yeah, come on now. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit about how you got in the food industry. So let's say, what's your history, your journey to Prados, how you became senior manager for National Innovation Centers. And I've been to those innovation centers and they're really cool, but there's a lot of them. So that's a big job. Walk us through how you got to where you are. Oh, no, thank you. I, I will. And then, yeah, we'll do that. I'll let you flip the script and then we can wrap up because this has been really interesting. <laughs> so it's funny. My journey is probably pretty different from yours. I decided at a certain point that I wanted to change kind of my educational path and go to culinary school. I did after high school go to college and then I decided, you know what, there's something missing. Part of it was actually sitting in a class one day and having a professor basically put their hand on their desk and start kind of, you know, banging like this. The desk and say, Whoa. you need to pay attention because you're here to learn all about how to make money because that's what matters. I was kind of like, oh. you know, I mean, yeah, okay, we need money. It's good. I like having a roof and things. There's probably other stuff. And I decided to kind of change and went to culinary school, New England Culinary Institute, which now, thanks to COVID, does not exist anymore. After that, I really did kind of a quick journey through from that school because I was a little older student, right? I had already gone through some school, so I wasn't 18, 19 coming out of high school. So since I was a little older student, I got through there and then I did what, three internships, a few quick jobs, and then landed at Parados. So really between the internships and the jobs, I tried to hit kind of every aspect of the industry I could to see what I liked. So I worked for a large national retailer. I worked for a large artisanal wholesaler who actually sold to all the local hotels, casinos, making all the cakes, the desserts, but everything by hand. I mean, you need a pallet, 508 inch cakes, yeah, we'll do that. And we will make them completely by hand. There were three of us. It was, Gosh. yeah, it was pretty crazy. I worked in catering. I worked in chocolate. So I really hit a little bit of everything. And then it was really, and since some people at work listen, you can cover your ears right now. Don't listen to this part. It was kind of dumb luck that I ended up landing at Parados. My wife, Jessica, who is a whole human being in her own right. So I will now say Jessica. She was working at a competitor of Parados. And excuse me, who, who was that? Oh, competitor? I might want to give them a call for our next order. It might be a chocolate company. And she needed to move. So we needed to move because we were too far from her office. She had a good position that she wasn't going to leave. You know, my role where I had been working previous was changeable, right? It was good. 
it wasn't something that was going to be long term. And so in looking at the areas we could move to and looking at jobs, I saw, oh, there's something at this Prados company. I knew of the company because my previous job bought commodities from Prados. We were all scratch. We didn't use any of the innovative products that Prados has, but we instead bought all our commodities from them. And so I said, oh, I know about this company. I've heard about, I've met their drivers, always seem like nice people. Oh, let me see what this job is. And so I got a job starting out in one of the research and development groups there, where at that time, quality control and research and development were together. So I would do all that testing. And then when there was time, okay, run this series of tests for this new product or this, okay, there's stuff coming off the lines, go test that. And I would just kind of ping pong around and really do whatever was needed. And then, but because of my background, as positions opened up, because I was qualified and I had the training and the ability, I was able to move into what we call the technical advisor team, which those are the pastry chefs, the bakers, the chocolatiers. And then from there, just work my way uh, through time and patience to managing, yeah, the six innovation centers throughout mm. the uh, continental U.S. Well, let me stop you there. Just for, I have a quick question before we talk about your current position and what you do, which is a great position, I think. And Paradis, by the way, is an amazing company. So if you were to stop and open a little shop, you said, you know what, Jessica, right? Yeah. You say, Jessica, you know, let's eh, let me get away from this corporate world. I'm going to open a little shop. What are three items, types, or category items that you said, we have to have these in our little bakery? Oh, that's a good question. I am very passionate about laminated dough. I love to laminate. I love the different shapes, the designs, the colors. And there's so much you can do around laminated dough. I mean, so if you're really sticking with a bakery, I'm going to latch onto that word, right? So I'm going to take chocolate out of play because she can make chocolate. She did work for a chocolate manufacturer. She can mold, shell mold, do in rope. She can do all that. Lamination, with my background being more pastry, I do tend to go towards sweet stuff. I want to say you got to have a good like sweet bread, like a babka or Hmm. some kind of cinnamon, you know, rolled cinnamon raisin type bread. You need something. I'll tell you, it is nuts Hmm. what people will do nowadays. There is a deli that just opened up the street from my house. They are charging in the ballpark. I think they bring everything from New York, all the baked goods every morning, fresh from the city. It's close to a hundred dollars, I believe for a babka. (laughs) Yeah. No, Yeah. no. Take a picture, send it to me and and make sure it shows the price on the receipt. Crazy. No, it is crazy. And then, I mean, okay, if you got a bakery, you have to have an amazing baguette or you have to have a sourdough that really gives you that sense of place, whether it's, you know, if you're an apple country, some kind of apple, sourdough, something like that. I'm going to cheat and put both of those out there. I think it's great. And like, if you mention a sourdough or a baguette or a babka, each one has a story. So it's cool when you sell it to your customer, you say, let me tell you about how I developed this babka recipe or why it's here or this sourdough. You know, I mean, there's so cool. Each one can have a story and have a different personality. No, it is. And that's so important. I mean, making those connections. We were just having a conversation at work that more and more, especially in our roles as managers, as long-term planners, we're going to have a lot of assistance from automation, from AI. We need to be able to tell stories and make connections with people because the information will be out there. Anyone will be able to look up the information. With the help of AI, we just as a joke the other day asked the AI, tell us what we need to do to start a wholesale bakery. 
It gave us a whole and list. I told you. It was fairly accurate because mm. in my role, one of the things that I do is design and build innovation centers, kitchens, right? Mm-hmm. So I, wow. I know what it takes. I looked it over. Oh, this is pretty accurate. Mm. Those tools can't make connections. They can't discuss topics with people. They can't tell stories, at least mm. not yet. <laughs> we have, yeah, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> who knows? It's getting, it is getting crazy. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about what you, like typical day in the life of Braden when you come in. And Braden, by the way, your last name, Cadenelli, what a wonderful yeah. Italian name. It, if, uh, that's why next time we'll talk about pizza. I love it. Oh, yeah. Um, so tell me about what you do during a day and what is your, what are the, maybe a couple of the uh, challenges and some of the, you know, great things that you like about your job? Well, one of the great things is that every day is different. So there's never the same day twice. A big part of my role is ensuring that we have consistency across our six buildings and our 16 chefs throughout the country, ensuring that they understand the mission, the vision, the goals of the organization, making sure that they're working within them. And a big part of it, though, is making sure that they are empowered. I need to be a coach, a mentor, not a boss. And there really is a distinction there. I don't so much try, and this is really company-wide, like the leadership, we don't tell people what to do. We show them what their goal is, tell them what their guardrails are, give them a few guidelines, and then help coach them to get them from wherever they are to wherever that goal is. I mean, just like Hmm. a coach in sports. Hmm. I heard a great quote And I'm going to mess up the quote, but it was John Wooden about how a coach is a person who can give, you know, feedback without being disliked. And that's not the exact quote. That was just my filtering of it, that you need to be able to give, you know, objective feedback to help a person grow without them hating you for doing it. And a lot of times the boss is hated for giving feedback. (laughs) Man. Wow, that's so important. And I know you do a great job because I have some inside people with your company. Uh-oh, and, where are the cameras? Uh, where, where? <laughs> well, no, no, they'll, they'll hear this and we're done. And speaking of hearing this, so I flipped this interview because, you know, I, I'm with Believe Podcast. Yeah, I, I want to hear a, about that. Podcast. Well, well, I'll go quickly through that. But yeah, so quite a while ago, I was speaking to Bron Husenstam and he is the founder of Believe Podcast. Believe is Bron, Believe Podcast. Primarily sports, it's really heavy sports, so LA sports, but all over the country. Um, you get a lot of former athletes, professional athletes that have, that decide they want to do a podcast, you know, they'll cover basketball, hockey, football, soccer, everything. They also have some other offshoots. One would be say, maybe a food podcast. Mine is one. I spoke to Bron and he said, yeah, okay. He knew a bit about my background. So I just started doing where I brought in different people to interview a lot of some really great people, wonderful personalities. Humble, humble people. Uh, you're on this now, so you have to continue to be humble because uh, uh-huh. I'm going to put you on the belief. All right, and, all right. Yeah, I mean, some great, like, I'll just name a few. Omar Alaboy, I love him. I've done a couple with him. He's the, called the Spanish chef out of the UK and Spain and Franck Colombi and Yana Lai, great pastry chefs at Belle Conseil in Paris, number one, or probably the number one pastry school in, in France. And then Vincent Pilon, a very good friend from the Cosmo, Cosmopolitan mm-hmm. in Las Vegas. But there's so many... Yeah, it's called Chef Special or Believe in Chef Special. And yeah, you can see a few in there and uh, when you have time. But how did you get to do the Unicorn Podcast? Tell me a little bit about that. It really just came from a love of radio. 
from growing up listening to the radio all the time and probably deep down just being a frustrated person who would think, oh, I, I could have done that. Maybe I could do that. Oh, hey, wait a minute. You can do that now. <laughs> and when we were all stuck at home, I just went to work one day virtually with a little email and said, all right, everybody, I got an idea. We're doing this. Here's what we're going to do. Somebody stop me. It's been three years and nobody has stopped me. So, oh, oh, oh. well, I look, you have a lot. I think I've done about 65. This will be 66. You've got, I don't know how many you've done. Tons. Yeah, this is the way I've broken it up. This is the fourth season and we, we run every other week. So you figure we're doing, I mean, let's just say roughly 24, 25 a year. So we're mm-hmm. closing in by the end of this year, hopefully on about a hundred. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And we've had, yeah. I mean, just like you, we've had fun people because we have a relationship with Jacques Torres. You know, we've had Jacques on, we've been able to have Chris Harvey on, which was a lot of fun. I've gotten to know him over mm-hmm. the years. Really nice guy. Jacques too, just two like top class people, real nice. Uh, we've had a lot of authors and kind of thought leaders in certain areas on. We try to, just like wanting to talk to you, we try to find people who may not be as well known and have interesting stories about how they got to where they are so we can talk to them. And a big goal when we started this was to kind of help inspire people. Maybe someone will listen and say, oh, wait, I can do that. I have similar skills. I have a similar background and we can help grow the industry because it's an industry we're all part of. It's an industry that we all love. So let's put something out there to try to bring in, you know, fresh new talent to our industry. Sounds good to me. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to flip the script now because the way that we wrap up, I always ask the guests, tell me a little bit more about what you do. And you just did, which was wonderful about your show on the Believe Podcast Network. I can't let everyone go though without asking them a minimum of three totally off the wall, random questions, rapid fire style. So now I'm going to get to do that to you. Okay. All right. First question. What's the first concert you ever saw? Cat Stevens. Oh, nice. Where was that? It was at the Forum, a big place, but I didn't want to go. My brother loved him. And I said, oh man, Moonshadow. I don't, you know, I kept hearing that song in my head. <laughs> he blew me away and I've been a big fan ever since. Oh, wow. That's, that's funny because through some movies and TV shows, that song Father and Son has just come back again. Oh, and it just, I love it. And the older you get, I think the more you just, you know, as a full grown man, you can be like, all right, you know, I might cry this time. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it could happen. Well, you're a dad. Yeah. You're going to yeah. sing. You have a son and a daughter, right? Yeah, that's correct. It's not time to make a change. Come on, be careful. Yeah. Don't oh. just relax. Take it easy. <laughs> See, you're more skilled than me. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to hear me sing. All right. Give it a shot. Come on. Second question. Oh, we're just moving right along. This steamroller is going. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so second question, white cars, love them or hate them? I don't like them. Kind of hate them. Yeah. All right. I would say hate, but I'm just not a big fan. Boring. Just boring. Yeah. yeah. And when you see them, you know that that was the one that maybe not as popular. So the price tag is a little bit lower on the white ones, I think. Yeah. All right. That's my perception. All right. No, very fair. Very fair. Final question. What's your go-to comfort food? This is going to be horrible, but I would say <laughs> Mexican food. Okay. Probably. Okay. Probably Mexican food or mashed potatoes and gravy and pot roast like my mom used to make mm. when she was still on this earth. I mean, that black gravy, deep, dark, flavorful, incredible, crusty pot roast. 
That was really good. Actually, actually, that's my favorite comfort food. She made it for my birthday every year. Okay. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, Patrick, thank you for coming on. It was great to hear your story. It was great to learn about your journey. I'm still blown away that you basically said, yes, and somebody asked you, can you bake? And you went, well, yes, I can learn. And let's go to Alaska. Amazing start. (laughs) Starting a gold camp. Well, thank you, Braden, for having me on. And thanks for being on my show. No, of course. Great fun time with you again. Thanks so much. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, take care and we'll be in touch. Please check out more Epicurean Unicorn podcasts and follow the Parados Group on Instagram and Facebook. And be sure to check out the Believe Network at Believe.com with 500 shows, 800 hosts, and a combined 40 million followers. Believe is your destination for creators and fans of sports, teams, and topics. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.